0: part two chapter twenty five of the patrician by john galsworthy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by simon evers part two chapter twenty five in that mood of rebellious mortification she fell asleep and curiously enough dreamed not of him whom she had in mind been so furiously defending but of harbinger she fancied herself in prison lying in a cell fashioned like the drawing-room at Sea House, and in the next cell, into which she could somehow look, Harbinger was digging at the wall with his nails. She could distinctly see the hair on the back of his hands and hear him breathing. The hole he was making grew larger and larger. Her heart began to beat furiously. She awoke. She rose with a new and malicious resolution to show no sign of rebellion, "'to go through the day as if nothing had happened, "'to deceive them all, and then... "'Exactly what and then meant "'she did not explain, even to herself. "'In accordance with this plan of action "'she presented an untroubled front at breakfast, "'went out riding with little Anne, "'and shopping with her mother afterwards. "'Owing to this news of Milton, "'the journey to Scotland had been postponed. "'She parried with cool ingenuity "'each attempt made by Lady Vadis, to draw her into conversation on the subject of that meeting at Gustard's, nor would she talk of her brother. In every other way she was her usual self. In the afternoon she even volunteered to accompany her mother to old Lady Harbinger's in the neighbourhood of Prince's Gate. She knew that Harbinger would be there, and with the thought of meeting that other at five o'clock, had a cynical pleasure in thus encountering him. He was so complete a blind to them all then feeling that she was accomplishing a master's trick she even told him in her mother's hearing that she would walk home and he might come if he cared he did care but when once she had begun to swing along in the mellow afternoon under the mellow trees where the air was sweetened by the southwest wind all that mutinous reckless mood of hers vanished she felt suddenly happy and kind glad to be walking with him today too he was cheerful as if determined not to spoil her gaiety, and she was grateful for this. Once or twice she even put her hand up and touched his sleeve, calling his attention to birds or trees, friendly and glad, after all those hours of bitter feelings, to be giving happiness. When they parted at the door of Annie's house, she looked back at him with a queer, half-roofful smile. For now the hour had come. In a little unfrequented anteroom, all white panels and polish, she sat down to wait. The entrance drive was visible from here, and she meant to encounter Courtier casually in the hall. She was excited, and a little scornful of her own excitement. She had expected him to be punctual, but it was already past five, and soon she began to feel uneasy, almost ridiculous, sitting in this room where no one ever came. Going to the window, she looked out. A sudden voice behind her said, "'Auntie Babs?' Turning, she saw little Anne regarding her with those wide, frank, hazel eyes. A shiver of nerves passed through Barbara. "'Is this your room? It's a nice room, isn't it?' She answered, "'Quite a nice room, Anne. "'Yes, I've never been in here before. "'There's somebody just come, so I must go now.' Barbara involuntarily put her hands up to her cheeks, and quickly passed with her niece into the hall. At the very door, the footman, William, handed her a note. She looked at the superscription. It was from Courtier. She went back into the room. Through its half-closed door, the figure of little Anne could be seen, with her legs rather wide apart, and her hands clasped on her low-down belt, pointing up at William her sudden little nose. Barbara shut the door abruptly, broke the seal, and read. Dear Lady Barbara, I'm sorry to say my interview with your brother was fruitless. I happen to be sitting in the park just now, and I want to wish you every happiness before I go. It has been the greatest pleasure to know you. I shall never have a thought of you that will not be my pride, nor memory that will not help me to believe that life is good. If I am tempted to feel that things are dark, I shall remember that you are breathing this same mortal air. And to beauty and joy, I shall take off my hat with the greater reverence, that once I was permitted to walk and talk with you. And so, good-bye, and God bless you. Your faithful servant, Charles Courtier. Her cheeks burned, quick sighs escaped her lips. She read the letter again, but before getting to the end, could not see the words for Mist. If in that letter there had been a word of complaint, or even of regret. She could not let him go like this, without good-bye, without any explanation at all, he should not think of her as a cold, stony flirt who had been merely stealing a few weeks' amusement out of him. She would explain to him at all events that it had not been that. She would make him understand that it was not what he thought, but something in her wanted—wanted— wanted. Her mind was all confused. What was it, she thought? What did I do? And, sore with anger at herself, she screwed the letter up in her glove and ran out. She walked swiftly down to Piccadilly and crossed into the green park. There she paused, Lord Malverson and her friend strolling up towards High Park Corner, and gave them a very faint bow. The composure of those two precise and well-groomed figures sickened her just then. She wanted to run, to fly to this meeting that should remove from him the odious feelings that he must have had, that she, Barbara Caradoc, was a vulgar enchantress, a, a common traitress and coquette. And his letter, without a syllable of reproach. Her cheeks burned so that she could not help trying to hide them from people who passed. As she drew nearer to his rooms, she walked slower, forcing herself to think what she should do, what she should let him do. But she continued resolutely forward. She would not shrink now, whatever came of it. Her heart fluttered, seemed to stop beating, fluttered again. She set her teeth, a sort of desperate hilarity, rose in her. It was an adventure. Then she was gripped by the feeling that had come to her on the roof. The whole thing was bizarre, ridiculous. She stopped drew the letter from her glove. "'It might be ridiculous, but it was due from her. "'And, closing her lips very tight, she walked on. "'In thought, she was already standing close to him, "'her eyes shut, waiting, with her heart beating wildly, "'to know what she would feel when his lips had spoken, "'perhaps touched her face or hand. "'And she had a sort of mirage vision of herself, "'with eyelashes resting on her cheeks, "'lips a little parted, arms helpless at her sides. "'It incomprehensibly... His figure was invisible. She discovered then that she was standing before his door. She rang the bell calmly, but, instead of dropping her hand, pressed the little bare patch of palm left open by the glove to her face to see whether it was indeed her own cheek flaming so. The door had been opened by some unseen agency, disclosing a passage and flight of stairs covered by a red carpet, at the foot of which lay an old, tangled, brown-white dog, full of fleas and sorrow. Unreasoning terror seized on Barbara. Her body remained rigid, but her spirit began flying back across the green park, to the very hall of Vanity's house. Then she saw coming towards her a youngish woman in a blue apron, with mild, reddened eyes. Is this where Mr. Courtier lives? Yes, miss. The teeth of the young woman were few in number and rather black. And Barbara could only stand there, saying nothing, as if her body had been deserted between the sunlight and this dim red passage, which led to... What? The woman spoke again. I'm sorry if he was wanting him, miss. He's just gone away. Barbara felt a movement in her heart, like the twang and quiver of an elastic band suddenly relaxed. She bent to stroke the head of the old dog who was smelling her shoes. The woman said... And, of course, I can't give you his address, because he's gone to foreign parts. With a murmur of whose sense she knew nothing, Barbara hurried out into the sunshine. Was she glad? Or was she sorry? At the corner of the street, she turned and looked back. The two heads of the woman and the dog were there still, poked out through the doorway. A Horrible inclination to laugh seized her, followed by, as horrible a desire, to cry. End of part two, chapter twenty-five.